This information is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal or tax advice. Please consult your attorney or accountant to discuss your particular business situation. SBA's participation in this presentation is not an endorsement of the views, opinions, products, or services of any of the participants, persons, or entities. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. This information is as current as April 24th, 2020. Aloha, I'm Evan Leong from Brain Game Hawaii, and welcome to today's Safe Hawaii Jobs and Businesses webinar for April 24, 2020. If this is still fairly new for you, we have a resource folder with updated memos explaining the details for the PPP and loan forgiveness. Um, please make sure you review those documents before asking a question, since most of the answers are in those documents. We have previous webinar videos and a podcast as well. Buddy's going to post the links in the chat box. So please let me introduce our team for today. Our special guest today is uh, U.S. Senator Brian Schatz. Senator Schatz serves on the Senate Appropriations Committee, the Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee, and the Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs Committee. Jane Sawyer is the District Director for Hawaii for the SBA and our champion for small business. Darren Leong from the, office, um, from the law office of Darren R. Leong is a specialist in employment law. Stacey Katakura, the CEO of Accumulus, is an outsourced um, CFO and accounting firm. Jeff Harris is the senior name partner at Torquetson Law Firm. Uh, in the background, you won't see him, but Buddy Leong is an analyst here at Brain Game Hawaii and handles our communications, the back end and chat box. Coco Leong is our editor and Brain Game um, person in charge of content, video editing, the YouTube channel and podcast. The questions today, we're gonna take them through the Q&A module only. If you put them in the chat box, they're not gonna be answered. Um, in the Q&A module, please upvote the questions um, that you feel are the most important, and we'll do our best to answer them later on in the webinar live, okay? This is a fully volunteer effort. No one here is being paid. This is free work, um, pro bono, and we're just doing it to try to help as many Hawaii employers as possible to save their jobs and businesses. So um, the legal disclaimer for today, this information is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for legal or tax advice. Please consult your attorney or accountant to discuss your particular business situation, SBA's participation in this presentation is not an endorsement of the views, opinions, products, or services of any of the participants, persons, or entities. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. This information is current as of April 24, 2020. So without further ado, let's start with our Senator, Brian Schatz. Thank you. Thank you, Evan. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And thanks for all of you for the great work you've been doing. We hear from small businesses that really appreciate the service that you're providing. And uh, what a great team of people on, on this panel. Um, let me just give you a quick update. The president did sign uh, the latest bill, which contains uh, uh, more than $300 billion more for the PPP program, as well as additional money uh, for uh, Hawaii's hospitals, uh, and importantly, $30 billion for a national testing program, because as much as it's important to uh, prop up and make sure um, our small businesses survive in this next 45 to 90 days, it's also important that we have a path towards a more long-term private sector recovery, and that's going to be dependent at least partly on the availability um, and scaling of testing. And so that part, although it sounds um, uh, maybe less critical in this moment, uh, over time, our ability to set up public health infrastructure so that we can safely uh, engage in commerce is going to be the whole ballgame. Uh, we are pleased that uh, more than $300 billion was set aside. Uh, there were a couple of uh, problems with the program, uh, and um, Jane Sawyer did an extraordinary job um, our local business leaders did an extraordinary job. Um, I want to really recognize the difference it makes uh, to have local banks. Um, my ability to get on the phone with them, you know, four or five days before uh, this program was launched and say, look, I'm not sure whether Wells or some fintech company or uh, Bank of America or Citi is really going to bother with us over here. So it's up to us to push um, these loans and to make sure that we engage in a sort of whole of society effort to make sure everybody knows this is available to them and to just develop the throughput capacity to make sure not, not just that we get our share, but that we got more than our share. We did get more than our share uh, because of the great work of our small businesses, the SBA, 
um, and, and our local banks. Now that's the sort of good news, um, but the bad news is as a result of that, um, uh, the program almost immediately ran out of money. So this next tranche will take us well through the waiting list. Uh, we don't think it'll completely exhaust the waiting list, but um, it's a pretty significant additional chunk. One uh, last thing I'd like to call out within uh, the PPP uh, program is there are now set-asides for smaller banks um, and small and medium-sized banks. All of our uh, banks are considered non-large banks. So those set-asides should be adv advantageous to us in terms of how it, how it gets allocated. But frankly, it's a little unclear how Treasury and SBA and OMB are going to figure out the allocation and whether that, in fact, will slow down the processing speed, um, I think remains to be seen. But uh, between the money for uh, CDFIs and the kind of focus on uh, both the unbanked and underbanked and smaller institutions, uh, it wasn't just another slug of money, although it was that. It was also recognizing that, you know, this is really about, you know, businesses that may be two, three, four, a dozen, two dozen people and, and not for your 499 uh, person shop as much as they're important. We really want to make sure that those companies, those individual local institutions that are on the edge, uh, try to survive this extinction event. Thank you, Senator Schatz. Um, just a, if you could, a, a few questions. Um, one, one of them relates to the Paycheck Protection Program, and that, that program you know, provides small businesses with a loan to cover payroll and some overhead expenses if the businesses keep uh, the employees uh, on payroll and pay them uh, whether or not there's work to be done that, and that loan gets forgiven. Um, can you talk about what Congress was trying to accomplish with PPP? Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, this is, this is unique in American history and unique in, in global history because a similar program to this is sort of being enacted across the planet, whether it's directly paying uh, payroll as is happening, I think in the UK and other places, or um, through banks to have a forgivable loan program. The basic premise is it's the government that's telling everybody to shut down the private sector. And so in this particular instance, and hopefully in this particular instance only, the government is going to step in with taxpayer dollars uh, to keep these uh, 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 small institutions from collapsing uh, under the weight of no demand at all. Um, this is a unique uh, recession and possibly a depression, uh, but it is it is specific to this moment because the only way to get through this pandemic is to be distant from each other and to prevent the spread. And so the basic premise is if we're in the business of telling the economy to shut down, we also need to be in the business of allowing people to feed themselves. So that's the expanded unemployment insurance program. And that's the PPP. That's the principle behind this. Um, one other thing was speed. Um, and as slow as this feels, this is still really fast for the government. And um, Jane and I have talked a little bit about the throughput for SBA generally and SBA Hawaii and just comparing how much uh, in the way of loans we've gotten out in you know, two or three weeks compared to how much she normally does in a year. It's pretty extraordinary. But it's speed and allowing people to survive this potential extinction event for local institutions and local families. I mean, one of the, the concerns I think we're getting is that um... – the PPP is, is very helpful for the next eight weeks or through the end of June to get people through that. But there's a concern that Hawaii in particular is going to have a hard time beyond that, that point. Um, what is on the top of your agenda in terms of, you know, sort of the next bill or, or going, beyond, going beyond that time frame? Well, I think, first of all, we're going to have to extend PPP and the unemployment insurance. And those things really go hand in hand because, as we know, some businesses are deciding to uh, furlough or lay off their employees. That is uh, certainly their choice. And then their uh, employee salaries are carried mostly by the UI system, although that's been uh, snarled um, at the state level. Um, uh, and then the PPP program is the other option. So I think those are going to have to be re-upped. Um, but the other part of this is that, for instance, the state of New York has a $60 billion budget shortfall in state government, not counting city government, New York City government, for, for instance. California is going to be in a deep, deep hole. Lots and lots of states, of Republican and Democratic uh, states, are going to be facing these yawning deficits. 
And um, it is hard to imagine an effective economic recovery with um, schools being shut down, with hospitals uh, having to do layoffs. And so, you know, this is one of those moments where it doesn't really matter what your sort of philosophy is on the size and the role of government. There is only one way out of this, and that is all of us together. And right now, we're going to need some state and county fiscal support because even in the best case scenario, and I'm not, not suggesting that we know that this is the case, but let's say the virus um, uh, starts to wane over the summer and there's a thought to, okay, we can start to reopen the economy incrementally and safely and, 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 uh, and, um, and carefully and monitor all the rest of it. We can't really set up, uh, we can't recover if people can't go back to work and people can't go back to work if their kids are at home doing distance learning. And so we have to fund the government in order to enable the recovery. And there's just no way um, that we can do this without borrowing, without the federal government stepping in because state governments are basically incapable of doing borrowing for operating expenses. The markets will reject that. And so if you've got a potential for a private sector recovery and a potential uh, 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 recovery in terms of what the virus is doing, and yet in the middle of that, you just hammer firehouses and, and all of the public health infrastructure that's primarily responsible for, for uh, preventing this pandemic from getting worse, um, you're cutting off your own legs right at the moment where you need it the most. So one of my highest priorities, in addition to PPP and UI, is making sure the state and the county uh, have the fiscal support they need to survive this moment. And this isn't about ongoing, this isn't about the biennium budget or, or four years from now or collective bargaining. This is about surviving this moment. Yeah, in, in addition to that fiscal support, um, how is the federal government uh, doing in terms of, or what are they doing to prepare uh, the states to open up, you know, open up economies? Well, I think it's a tale of two federal governments, right? The CDC and Anthony Fauci have given us good guidelines and they call them gateways and they've sort of given us a way to think through whether we think it's time to reopen our economy. Uh, and that's all useful information. And then on the other side, you have Trump and whatever he's doing and whatever he's saying, which we find to be, you know, unhelpful in the extreme. Um, but it is fair to say that Anthony Fauci's guidelines are useful to us. The one thing I would say is that as we look at those gateways, they're pretty interesting, they're well thought out, they're science-based. We have a threshold question about aviation and travel, because it is one thing to move through these gateways and reopen portions of our economy. But if, let's say our case rate is close to zero, but the case rate on the mainland is nowhere near zero, then although we may meet the criteria in gateway one to reopen, we have a very, very serious decision about whether or not we want to lift that 14-day mandatory quarantine, because we have seen Taiwan and other places, they have this great success story of smashing the curve, and then they reopen too early, and then they get clobbered again. And that's not just a public health problem. That's even worse for the economy than going uh, uh, in an extremely incremental fashion. Yeah, thank you. Um, we know your time is uh, very valuable and that you're squeezing us in. Did, did you have any sort of closing comments before we hand it off to some of our other panelists? Only just to give Jane all the difficult questions. Um, but uh, in, in all seriousness, uh, 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 Jane Sawyer has been an extraordinary public servant for a long time. Uh, but in this particular instance, and I, I recognize the frustration, people who are still uh, waiting in line at banks or people who think they got their loan approved but still haven't received their dollars, which is really what this is about. So I don't want to try to be too triumphant about this program. I know it's been clunky in the rollout. But that has been uh, because of SBA nationally, that has be been because this is a hard thing to do. Um, all of our successes are at least partially uh, uh, due to Jane Sawyer's leadership and hard work and her team, the local banks, the local people who just like you care about small business in Hawaii. And I just, I would offer you this um, for state leaders as well. There are some structural challenges that we're going to have to deal with both fiscally and in the, in the sort of very nature of our economy over the next two to four years. But this period of time, this spring and this summer, is an extinction event. And we should think in terms of allowing our local institutions to, to just exist on the other side of it. 
and then we can talk about structural reforms and all that. And I think it's an important question, but we should separate in time what we need to do in the next 45 to 90 days to just collectively survive from what we should do to sort of be a better society in the future. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm gonna pass it now to uh, Jane Sawyer, um, who I have to agree, Jane has been working her tail off around the clock and I understand um, at least the questions that, this is from me personally, the questions I've seen that have been the frustrations and difficult ones um, flow above Jane and are the things she doesn't have control over. So um, I just want to sort of publicly give hats off to her uh, as well. Um, Jane, biggest question on the table right now, because we've been scouring the news since Thursday, is when will SBA eTran reopen? We are really pleased that they did um, get this bill passed. Um, there, as it was mentioned, there are some different things that have been put into the system. So over the weekend, they will be updating eTran so that it will deal with some of these set-asides for the smaller banks. Um, and hopefully they're going to do that very effectively. We expect that eTran will open and the banks will begin processing the applications that they have already screened and start to put into the SBA system for approvals on Monday morning. So, our, I mean, thank you all for, for the uh, uh, appreciation. The hard work still is going to continue because we still have to execute and get all these loans out the door. I think it's been, uh, I mean, you just recognize again the sheer volume. Just in the last month, SBA has been given 700, about $700 billion to get out to small businesses. And this is, you know, we've been hearing all those words about unprecedented, you know, highly unusual, different program. All of those things are true. And we're doing our best to keep refining it and making it better and faster and more responsive. So the real focus now will be on those PPP loans that go through the financial institutions. Our banks have been great in screening and working around the clock. Again, we're saying, you know, if you have an application that's uh, kind of in waiting or in queue, check with your bank, take a look at the latest guidance and make sure that you answered everything correctly. You have the right documentation available to make sure that your loan application is going to go in and go through. 74% of the PPP loans across the country were 150,000 or under. Less than 5% were loans over a million. And I'm pointing that out because so many people are saying bigger business have gotten the, the, the bigger share of these loans. We are getting to the smaller customers and the small businesses. And now some of the refinements, some of the changes they made are to make sure that those small businesses in rural areas are served. For those of you out there who are independent contractors and maybe you've been on social media talking about the fact that nobody's paying attention to you, I'm gonna say pay attention, go to sba.gov, look at the rules for the program and work this weekend to get your application ready and get it into one of the smaller lenders so you too can be served because independent contractors, sole proprietors, you may not have a huge loan, but remember these loans are directed to payroll and replacing income and helping small businesses get through this period where most of the businesses are actually closed. So we all get to the other side. Um, there are more than 1.6 million small businesses across the country, all shapes, sizes, different industries have been served. And we started out with about 3,500 lenders participating. Now we have more than 5,000, including our local banks that are doing a terrific job for you, but we also have credit unions, most of the credit unions here are participating. We have CDFIs, we have FinTech. So those of you who have accounts with you know, Square or PayPal, they may be able to help you out and process a loan quickly as well. They've been approved by the SBA to participate in this program. Again, you're used to working online, pay attention and, and make sure that you're doing your transactions securely. Um, so that's, that's kind of, you know, and the point of this is to keep people working and hundreds of thousands of jobs have been across the country, millions, but we, we see well over 100,000 jobs in Hawaii that should be coming back online because of this program. It will stay open as long as the money is available. And these loans can go to any small business that's under 500 um, workers. 
We, and we've heard from many, many, all different sizes, as I said, all different industries, um, bakeries, um, law firms, uh, you know, retail shops, restaurants that are being able to do different things while their doors are closed and finding different ways to keep their employees engaged and active during the next eight week period. There will be more guidance coming out to help us, you know, determine really where is the forgiveness and what can I do to, to make this work best for my business. And there are some controversies about some of the different things, but we are engaging with those discussions so, and those debates, because there are debates, that will help inform the decision so we can make the best choice and, and influence the rules that are gonna help more small businesses. Um, so those are kind of, you know, so again, it's a 1% fixed interest rate. There are gonna be no payments on the loan for six months, though interest will accrue. Um, there's no collateral requirement, no personal guarantee, um, you, and there are no guarantees for the borrower. There are no servicing fees. There's no credit elsewhere test for the PPP, but there are rules in what costs or what you can put into your loan amount and how you lose, use the loan funds. Again, this isn't to expand your business or open a new location. This is to get your business across this pandemic impact and keep us, uh, keep your employees engaged, keep you uh, engaged and uh, help us recover uh, when we get to open our doors again. So that's kind of a quick summary of where we are. And please take a look at your plans and let's be ready on Monday morning. Hey, Jane, what time on Monday morning is E-Tran expected to open up? I would bet it's going to be pretty early. My understanding, it was about, last time we opened up, it was about 2 a.m. Hawaii time. So, okay. um, and some of, some of the, some of the banks had people ready to start clicking away at that data input and get your loans input there. So make sure you, you're prepared or in queue and um, because we are expecting this one to go fast too, particularly with more lenders and more people aware of the program. Thank you, Jane. Um, yeah, I'll provide some additional comment on that. The, if, ETRAN is expected to open up on Monday morning. Um, that means that you know the applications have to be in and ready to go before then. Uh, one of the, the things that we've been monitoring very closely is if and when our banks are going to uh, are going to put or reopen their their application process so that um, applicants who do not have an application at that particular bank. Uh, could put those in. So uh, we have not seen that happen yet, but at least have heard some rumblings that perhaps in the next couple days or perhaps immediately upon eTran reopening, some of our credit unions, banks, uh, et cetera, will reopen and, and start taking uh, applications again. Um, I mean, uh, the, the category of business out there that that I've been thinking a lot about recently are, are those of you who have uh, submitted applications in the first day, second day, third day, and it hasn't been funded. So um, I, I think we've said it before, but uh, you know, the, the, the factor that is most important is how fast can that bank get your application through? Uh, or lender, get your application through. Jane's mentioned the fintechs, Jane has mentioned some of the other uh, smaller lenders. Uh, and then, you know, there are the, the four banks that, that we've mentioned, um, and we're waiting to see if both CPB and ASB um, come back uh, online. So uh, I, would, I would keep that in mind and, uh, you know, get that application in and see if it can be processed. Uh, I think that this next round, um, if we are going based off of the pace that the last round finished off at, which was close to $100 billion a day, um, I think we are likely to see this go in less than 72 hours. So your goal is to get your application through whatever institution it is into SBA eTrend and approved within that, within that time frame. Um, okay. so. Uh, we'll switch gears to uh, answering some of the, the questions or new uh, guidance that has come out uh, in the past few days. Um, and uh, Jeff, Stacy, and I did have some 
some comments on, on a couple of things that have come up recently. The biggest one is what I'll refer to as the Ruth's Chris Q&A from the uh, Treasury and SBA. Um, you guys have all seen a lot of press about um, big companies like Ruth's Chris in particular and Shake Shack giving back the money and, and that sort of thing. Uh, Treasury issued a single Q&A um, yesterday and, um, and that one has opened up, uh, in my opinion, a gigantic can of worms that perhaps they did not intend to do. So as we have discussed before, the, the base, uh, the very first requirement of getting a PPP is that it must be necessary to maintain operations. Uh, and as we've noted before, there's, there has been very little said about what that, what that means. Well, this Q&A, although targeted at very, very large businesses, does provide a rationale uh, and ends up opening up a lot of questions without uh, answering them. So the Q&A says, do businesses owned by large companies with adequate sources of liquidity to support the business's ongoing operations qualify for a PPP loan? Um, so the Q&A itself is targeted at large companies and it talks about their, um, them having access to adequate sources of liquidity. And, uh, and if they do, uh, do they qualify for a PPP loan? And then it goes on to suggest that these large businesses likely do not qualify um, because they cannot meet the requirement that it's necessary to maintain uh, operations. Um, the Q&A itself is, is obviously, you know, directed at just really big businesses. However, what bothers us and what opens up the big can of worms is that the rationale they apply um, if, uh, if taken to its sort of logical conclusion could be, could be construed to say that um, businesses who have adequate liquidity have cash saved in the bank that they, they might have a problem making the um, necessary to maintain operations requirement. Uh, from, a, from a policy perspective, I, I think that's, that's the wrong standard to use um, because what it does is it penalizes businesses who have been really good about having savings and cash in the bank and that sort of thing. Um, to the benefit of say businesses that have no cash reserves for whatever reason. I actually think the better, um, the better factor should be if the business is likely to face substantial revenue loss that would cause them to lay off employees um, and uh, that PPP money would essentially have them bring those employees back. There is some support for this, at least in the Q&A um, in terms of, of that second rationale because it says that uh, borrowers must take into account their current business activity. But again, there's just so much ambiguity uh, in here um, that uh, all, all at least uh, I think from that I can say is that this Q&A has raised the temperature on that certification and that uh, it's also raised the ambiguity around it. So you should check with your own, um, you know, attorney or tax advisor in terms of your ability to, to make that certification. Uh, I know that Jeff has particular comments on this issue as well. So Jeff, uh, go ahead. Darren, I tend to agree with your analysis of Q&A 31 that it is mostly focused on Ruth Chris and the larger larger companies, but the, the problematic language that you're talking about is specifically before submitting a PPP application, all borrowers should carefully review the required certification that, quote, current economic uncertainty makes this loan request necessary to support the ongoing operations of the applicant. Borrowers must make this certification in good faith, taking into account their current business activity and their ability to access other sorts of liquidity sufficient to support their ongoing operations in a manner that is not significantly detrimental to the business. And then the Q&A also goes on to say, and if you think you, 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 you 
can't make, didn't make this certification honestly, you can give the money back by May 7th and there's no questions asked. And so that, that, I see that's the problem that you're, you're, you're referring to, Darren. But I also want, I also think we should remind the listeners that the act itself says nothing, nothing requires you to not be able to get other loans. So the focus is on your, your intern, internal sources of capital, uh, as Darren's mentioned, your, your cash flow. And, and my thought is, as long as you're prepared to say that without this loan, without this loan, you, you would, your business would face devastating effects, including substantial layoff of employees, substantial, substantial drop in business. I, I, I'd, I'd counsel against giving back the loan or, or even being particularly concerned about this Q&A, but I, I'd certainly be prepared to look, look at the Q&A and be able to articulate why you needed the loan and how it helped your business survive. And I, Darren, I don't think yeah, we disagree I, that much on that. Yeah. Other than that, this Q and A scares me so much that I would, uh, I would sort of step away from counseling at all, I guess, in, in sort of my view of it. I mean, the, the other really ambiguous term in this Q and A is, um, is that this access to sufficient liquidity is uh, that, tapping into it would not be significantly detrimental to the business. You know, other parts of the CARES Act actually have specific dollar amounts or percentages of revenue drops that are attached to those provisions. This obviously does not. So whatever significantly detrimental to the business means, I have no idea. Um, and along with about four other phrases in this uh, Q&A. So, um, you know, uh, that, that, is kind of our discussion about it. If if what you're hearing from this is uh, is not a lot of real clear uh, direction, um, and that's that's intentional because I think this Q and A opens up more questions than it answers, and uh, we just want to bring it to your attention. Um, so I guess your your short answer is cons consult with your tax advisor or counsel and make a yeah, decision on how to deal with the question and answer. I think that's I think that's right on an individual case by case basis. Yes. Yeah. Um. So I, I saw this other question um, sort of voted up. You know, we've talked about the seventy five twenty five test, um, and we should probably clarify that the the seventy five twenty five rule is actually two different rules. So um, in the first interim rule in early April, uh, the SBA and Treasury issued a rule that said no more than 25% of the non-forgivable uh, costs, uh, sorry, of the total forgiveness amount may be used for non-payroll. Okay, so no more than 25% of uh, of the total forgiveness can be used for non-payroll. That came out of nowhere. It's not in the statute, and uh, SBA and Treasury added that into the first interim rule. That is obviously a rule that is directly related to the amount of forgiveness that you can obtain. The second interim rule references 75%, and I actually think they might have just been trying to say the exact same thing, but didn't end up doing it. So what they said in the second interim rule is that 75% of the funds themselves need to be used for payroll costs. So in other words, they're not talking about forgiveness. They're talking about the allowed uses of the money, whether it's loan or forgiveness. Um, and I, I presume at least what they meant is the amount of money that you use of that that. Uh, uh, PPP funds. So say you have $100, then whatever you use of it, whether it's forgiven or not, that it should be in the 75% or more proportion for, for payroll costs. So I just wanted to, to clarify and point out, um, point out that distinction. Uh, Stacy, um, there's an issue uh, out there about 
state taxes um, uh, and uh, about whether uh, whether PPP funds are going to be slapped with state taxes of the various sorts. Do you want to address that? Sure. So we've uh, we've heard that uh, there have the the Department of Tax has received some questions about whether or not um, the state is going to conform with the federal law that uh, the cancellation of debt income when your PPP loan is forgiven um, is not going to be subject to federal income taxes. And preliminarily, uh, we've heard that some responses that the Department of Tax has um, provided is that yes, um, it, the PPP loan forgiveness is uh, considered cancellation of debt income uh, subject to state income taxes and possibly GET taxes as well. Um, so I, I think what will need to happen is um, when the state issues their conformance guidelines uh, early next year, um, we urge you to contact your legislators to, 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 to make sure that um, your voices are heard and that they will, will indeed um, conform to the federal, uh, federal law on that. Yeah, I mean, uh, Hawaii is a, like other states has a big shortage of, of uh, cash flow right now. So <clears throat> I, you know, I, I would expect that uh, they very well may see this as a source of cash flow. So, uh, Stacy, the <clears throat> um, employee retention credit, uh, which which cannot be taken um, with PPP, uh, the IRS actually issued some some guidance on sort of the interaction between the um, employee retention credit uh, and PPP. Do you want to comment on that? Uh, so if you actually if you if you decide to take the employer um, retention tax credit, you are not uh, you cannot use um, PPP loan funds. Yeah, and then in terms of the timing of when um, that that prohibition triggers, uh, when does that occur? When can you stop taking the employee retention credit? So I think that, um, actually, I want to clarify that. So um, it's the payroll tax uh, uh, deferral that you um, you are able to. I'm take. sorry. Um, so the so if you do take so just I want to clarify that um, altogether. The employee retention tax credit. If you do use that that tax credit, you cannot take um, you cannot apply for a PPP loan. But if you use the payroll tax deferral. Um, you so I think this is um, this is good for businesses um, to are actually closed. I, I know we've talked on a previous web webinar that um, businesses will still have the, the you cannot use PPP loan funds to pay for the employee uh, the employer portion of the social security taxes. Um, so that you you might even be coming out of pocket if you're closed um, to pay for the employee the employer portion of the um, the social security taxes, which is a six point two percent. You are there is another um, there the payroll tax deferral. Um, if you take it, will allow you to defer your payment of the, the employer federal um, social security taxes, um, but. You, you, if you do use PPP loan funds, um, you are able to still take advantage of the payroll tax deferral and up until the, your point, um, the loan is forgiven. So it, it kind of helps uh, employers who are closed and not bringing in income uh, to still take advantage of the deferral, but just, um, just know that you will need to repay it um, as soon as your loan is forgiven. Thank, thank you, Stacey. Uh, I'm going to take full responsibility for framing that in a super unclear manner. <laughs> it's been a long month. Um, uh, Jeff, uh, I understand that you have had some communications with the Hawaii Department of Labor regarding this issue of um, offering employees to come back to work 100% uh, pay and hours and, and the employee refusing, and if that um, will cause the employee to forfeit their entitlement to unemployment. Do you want to comment on that? Sure, Darren. Um, first of all, I'd like to say that Director Scott Murakami has been very accessible when he's had a lot of other irons in the fire, and he, he's gotten back to us on a number of questions. 
we, we sent him a request for a declaratory ruling uh, asking him to confirm that if, if an employer offered an employee back their job and offered full pay and the employee refused that, he would declare as a matter of rule and standard across the board that that uh, employee would be unavailable for unemployment compensation and thus also unavailable for, um, for the federal supplemental $600 payment. He came back and said, indeed, if an employee was unavailable, if, if an employer did report that an employee was unavailable, the claims examiners would evaluate that on a facts and circumstances of each case. But if the employee was shown to be unavailable because they re rejected a, a substantial job offer, like a full pay uh, job offer, then they, they would, would be determined unavailable and, and, uh, and ineligible for the unemployment benefit. And that's really the state of the law. Um, a, lot, a lot of employer, employers legitimately understand, though, that if they, if, if they don't, if they offer their employees back partial work and they pay them less than the maximum of 680, maximum employee unemployment benefit that that employee can receive, which is a maximum of 684, but really one 121st of their highest of the last five quarters uh, is really their maximum employee benefit. If you if an employer pays them less than that, and they're working part time, they can still apply for partial unemployment with the state and receive the corresponding federal benefit. But th those are really the two key points of the un unemployment uh, system that I have to mention. Another other thing is I understand that some some employees have received that $600 payment this week. Yeah, I've, I've heard the same as, as well. Um, so uh, Stacy and Jeff, uh, I'm gonna ask if you guys could sort of look over the upvoted questions while I go through the next um, little piece so that uh, the ones that are, are top of mind that I don't cover right now that you guys can jump in. Um, there, there are three uh, kind of circling questions or issues that have come up that I'll address the status of. Um, I'll caveat that again by saying we expect um, and are pleading for guidance on forgiveness from SBA and Treasury, which we uh, think should come very soon. We were actually expecting it hopefully uh, by Monday, but um, you know, whenever that Whenever that guidance gets gets posted, we will immediately review it and um, and go uh, go through it and get it out to you. Um, you know, the probably one of the top two questions we've get gotten over and over is what is the definition of a full time equivalent or FTE, um, and that has not been answered yet. Uh, we understand that a number of you are already into your eight weeks and are wondering what is the measurement for headcount that you have to keep so that you don't drop um, below that on an average monthly basis. Um, we think that it, you're not the only one trying to figure this out. Uh, all the other businesses of that first 349 billion across the country are asking the same question. So we think that SBA and Treasury have a lot of pressure on them to move and answer that question. Um, so as soon as we get an answer, uh, we will push it out. The second one is uh, probably also in the top two questions, um, which uh, we think across the country is a very, very big deal, which is what are costs incurred and payments made? Uh, because in the eight week period to get forgiveness, it has to be for costs incurred and payments made. And the varying forms of examples are uh, things that happen outside the eight-week period that you pay for in the eight-week period. So, for example, uh, work that's completed before the eight weeks starts that's paid within the eight weeks, or, for example, prepayment of rent 
for months after the eight-week period, but you pay it within the eight-week period. Uh, another example would be uh, back pay uh, because you're behind on either rents or payments to employees that were accrued in, say, March or February. And if you pay those within the eight weeks, uh, we just don't have the uh, answer yet. Uh, SBA and Treasury know that's a big issue. Um, and we expect uh, that, we, we definitely expect those two questions to be answered whenever SBA and Treasury um, issue some, some guidance. Uh, the, the third uh, issue is, is one uh, that we've talked about uh, a number of times, which is uh, the ability to use unused funds, funds that are unused, by, be, unused before June 30th, whether you can use those funds after June 30th. And so uh, let me sort of temper and be more specific with exactly uh, how we stand on this because we have looked uh, very, very closely at this and done uh, a very hard legal analysis on it. Uh, with regard to whether unused PPP funds simply become uh, a two-year business loan after June 30th, 2020, uh, we believe there are a number of arguments suggesting the use of PPP funds is limited to the period ending June 30th, 2020. Um, those arguments include uh, both legal ones and arguments from the uh, interim guidance uh, and also uh, statements from SBA and Treasury on the intent of the statute to keep workers paid and employed during the eight-week forgiveness window before June 30th. That said, there is a chance that SBA and Treasury will issue a rule to the contrary. Uh, I think that is a very real possibility. Um, so while it is very clear that funds used for allowable uses before June 30th uh, qualify as allowable uses under the two-year loan, whether forgiven or not, it is not clear in our mind that unused funds may be used beyond June 30th as part of a uh, two-year business loan. Uh, with that, um, I will pass it uh, to Stacy first on any of the Q&As that um, you may have gone over that I did not just cover. Okay, there's one that's uh, at the top of the list that uh, if we bring everyone back on um, once PP funds have been received, what happens if we need to furlough them again after the eight weeks prior to June 30th? Uh, you want to take that or I can take it? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that was what that was the question pitching to uh, Senator Schatz is, um, I mean, the 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 law is clear that there's no obligation after that, that eight weeks to keep the employees on. And if you don't have a business need, then essentially they would go back on, you know, you could put them back on furlough again. Uh, certainly Congress understands that that is uh, the case and a real possibility. And I think that's why um, Senator Schatz, when we asked the question, was talking about the need to uh, re-up PPP, re-up unemployment, that sort of thing. Uh, Hawaii in particular is going to be hit hard beyond June uh, June 30th, so beyond just the May-June eight-week period that PPP uh, will, you know, provide uh, businesses survival. So the, the technical answer is uh, is yes, they could go on furlough again after that eight weeks. The practical answer is we hope that Congress uh, will agree to further stimulus going past that point. Um, what we've seen in the news so far has been uh, commentary that the next round of stimulus, that will be a much more difficult um, uh, negotiation between Democrats and the Republicans. Um, I mean, this, this second round of PPP, everyone agreed that uh, more money should be pumped into it. There was, there was no disagreement about that from anyone, and yet it took several weeks to get both sides to agree on a package that would put more money into PPP. So if it was that difficult to just get this second round of PPP money, 
you know, I, I think it's anyone's guess as to whether they'll be able to agree on a meaningful package that helps out past, uh, past June 30th. Darren, I'd like to follow up on that briefly. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. I, I, I think our, our position today, and until there's more guidance, is interpret the guidelines as conservatively as you can. You have eight weeks to spend your PPP proceeds. There will be clarifying answers. They'll either broaden, broaden your ability to use the funds after the eight weeks or restrict them to the eight weeks. They'll either broaden whether or not you can uh, use funds for amounts incurred outside the eight weeks or only within the eight weeks. They, they may broaden what's a utility or what's considered a rent cost or what is considered mortgage cost. What they, what they won't clarify, by the way, is that workers' comp is a covered cost. It's not. Workers' comp is something that is not covered by PPP proceeds. Uh, you, you, if you bring employees back, the workers' comp will be an expense outside of the program. But my recommendation, I don't know if the panelists share it, is behave conservatively now. Keep your money in a separate account, account for it carefully, pay only for the amounts incurred and paid within the eight weeks. Don't, don't make any statements right now about, about anticipating using it afterwards because if, if Treasury ultimately says you can't and you, you do, then, then there's a real possibility of a fraud claim against you. So, so behave behave, document and behave conservatively now because there will be guidance in the next one or two weeks and you'll be able to adjust your, your expenses accordingly based on that guidance without having to predict based on many of the ambiguous uh, statements that we have from the agencies now. Thanks, Darren. Okay, I'll, I'll take the softball after that, which is uh, whether telephone costs count as utilities, um, and are eligible for PPP? And the answer is yes. So uh, it feels nice to take a take a clearer question um, after some of the harder ones. Um, uh, next question is: If our company received PPP funds on uh, 4 16 2020, do we need to spend the funds by 6.15 or 6.30 to be eligible for forgiveness? Um, so again, I, I'd point back to the forgiveness memo, but there's two timeframes to keep in mind. One is the eight weeks after the, um, the loan. And so if that eight weeks ends on, say, June 15th, then uh, that's when the forgiveness window ends. You, you don't get to go to you know, the next 15 days out to June 30. It would be the shorter of the two. Darren, um, there, there are a few ahead. questions about profit sharing. You wanna cover that again or you want me to? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so typically your, your profit sharing contributions for 2019 are made when you file your 2020 uh, tax returns. So this is uh, an application of the concern that the loan proceeds only cover amounts uh, incurred and paid during the eight weeks. And if your profit sharing contribution is for hours worked in 2019, and it's typically not made until after you file your tax return, which is either July, August, or September 2019 with, an ex with extension by the IRS and your application for an extension, it would be hard to meet that test that you incurred those profit sharing contribution obligations and you, and you were tip, would typically pay them within the eight weeks. So wait until you get further clarification on that before you commit on your profit sharing contributions, unless you're typically matching on a week by week basis, which is unusual in our state. Yeah, I mean, this is nuts. I'm, we, there has to be guidance on this issue because, for example, if if you typically pay profit sharing in, say, the end of April for last year, and then you're not going to pay it again for this year until sometime next year, then if, if the 
requirements are going to be that it both has to be for the you know for the period in question within the eight weeks and paid within it then you know it's not going to be allowed at all i mean that that said we that we do not have guidance on this um so as much as what i said in the last minute and a half is what i think should be the case we just do not have sba or treasury taking a position on it yet so to to jeff's point I, I think uh, you know, conservative is is the word on that. There's a so there's a question that's kind of related to that, um, and I kind of I want to address it. The uh, question is: Our pay period starts on Sunday, and we'll probably get our funds on Wednesday. Do we have to prorate the all the payroll for the eight week period? And again, the I mean, I think it's that goes back to the cost incurred and payments made uh, language. Um, that's not clear. But I do want to go back to what was uh, the guidance, the calculations that was made in the uh, the second interim fi final rule that gave the example um, of how much of uh, an employee who's making a hundred thousand um, dollars, how much of their payroll cost, that salary is eligible for uh, forgiveness, and they clearly calculated um, eight weeks. So they took the hundred thousand dollars, divided it by fifty in a calendar year. Uh, multiplied it by eight to come up with the fifteen thousand three eighty five. Um, so I think that that to me is an in indication that the intent is to um, to include just an eight a, a clear eight week um, uh, calculation. Yeah, so, uh, so I go ahead. I think if you were to be able to um, uh, include any of a profit sharing contribution, it might be just prorated for the, the eight week period that it might apply to and for, the okay. current, for the current uh eight week period not going back to 2019. okay um i'm gonna i see two more upvoted questions so we'll take those two before some closing comments um i'll take the uh i'll take the easier one <laughs> um so idle grants uh idle grants are reduce your PPP loan forgiveness by the amount of the grant. Okay. So if you got a $10,000 idle grant slash advance, um, then whatever is your forgivable cost on the PPP side will get reduced by uh, that $10,000 amount. Uh, I'll add one ambiguity to that, which is um, what if you use the idle grant for a non-PPP purpose, but but a purpose that is within what IDLE allows, um, and we asked that and and have not received an answer to that question. So um, it's a it's a sort of twist in there. But presuming that you use the IDLE grant for payroll costs uh, or rent that sort of thing, then it would just reduce your forgiveness amount uh, by that much. Uh, last upvoted question, Jeff, since you uh, have tackled the unemployment questions, is the interaction um, between uh, PPP and unemployment uh, insurance. Do you want to just sort of do a, a quick uh, research? Sure, very quick. The question is how do PPP and unemployment insurance uh, interact? Uh, small business owners and independent contractors can't seem to get unemployment benefits right away. Can we, uh, if we have a PP loan, can we use those proceeds to pay our payroll costs until unemployment comes in? Yes. Okay. Yes, until it comes in. Don't don't double dip from those two uh, resources, uh, but you can you can integrate them so that the unemployment benefits once the unemployment benefits stop, you you stop using your PPP funds for that purpose. Okay, so we've, we've made it the full hour. We eagerly await some actual regulations from, uh, from SBA and Treasury on forgiveness. Applications for PPP reopen on Monday. Um, I can't speak for Stacy or Jeff, but um, just so I set expectations, I, I'm actually going to take a uh, a few days hiatus from answering uh, emails on this. The the volume has has just been too uh, too much. So 
uh, hopefully I'll, I'll get back uh, on it next week. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll let Jeff and Stacy speak for themselves. But on behalf of uh, all of us, um, you know, we, uh, we continue to do whatever we can uh, to support you. We know this is um, a difficult time. We have some optimism with uh, this new uh, tranche of money coming. And uh, at least for me personally, I, I very, very much hope that those of you who applied very early the last time get uh, your loans approved this time. Um, have a great weekend. Uh, and from all of us to you, we wish you all the best. Take care.